Listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our returning guest for the I don't know how many time, Shane English. What's up, Shane? Greetings. You know, it's October and Shane likes some dark, evil, mysterious sounding stuff. And so why not have him pick a killer record that sounds perfect right now? That's what we did. Actually, Shane offered numerous suggestions, and our patrons will hear us discuss the sort of also-rans on the extra segment on the Patreon. But happy to have you back, Shane, and you brought a real killer tape. I always have a blast. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, of course. You you and and Chris Yanko are going to have to fight someday to see who will be our most guested guest. Mm -hmm. We just have an episode with... with with oh yeah, you Shane guys should go just, rogue yeah. and do an episode without us. I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm totally start down. our own totally podcast. Down. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally down. Before we get into the episode, a word from our sponsor, International Misanthropy, a new cassette series from Hospital Productions in custom clamshell cases with interview inserts in each one. The first four are now shipping: ASM, Yellow Gas Flames, Linecraft, and Richard Ramirez. Also now shipping. Jumping Tiger, Temple of Sadism, 10-inch. Ancient S&M Noise from Richard Ramirez and Dominic Fernow. On multiple vinyl colors and limited picture disc. And available for pre-order, Masana Prurient Annihilationism. Split full length of brand new Harshtronics and Exclamation and Doom Electronics. On split LP, picture disc, and long box CD. Hospitalproductions.net and hospitalproductions.bandcamp.com. Hold on for dear life. Well, and the tape Shane picked is Randy Grafe. Golden Joy Club, and I hope I'm saying that name right, but uh, I've always said grief, actually, up until doing this episode, where I realized that my, like, mild dyslexia, I was just seeing the the letters in his name flipped, but it is G-R-E-I-F. That's something that it seems like it should be grief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes it makes sense with the sounds you're, you're being put with here, too, but before we get into that, Connelly's, what have you been listening to? Well, I know we have the shortest listening, so we'll go ahead and knock ourselves out of the way. And it was a classic. And it is Japanese American Noise Treaty. We pulled that out, and it is better than ever. Absolutely one of the most important releases. You know, our poster was hanging crooked, and it, it was like a sign. I was like, well, how did that poster get crooked? Did I hit it? What happened? Yeah. Did did a specter come into the room and shake it about? Maybe it was our sign to watch it again, and we did. And we watched it and listened to it. We watched, sorry, listened to it, and we watched, well, I was thinking about how we listened to it a, a, a lot, and then decided to watch um, Prom Night. That is and true. And while the credits were on during Prom Night, uh, there were there many things were playing, but the the Mersbau track with Prom Night just lined up so beautifully, yeah. and it it was like a poem. Yes, was it that doing like true. a Pink Pink Floyd Wizard of Oz type thing? Uh, yeah, it was, it was so Jamie perfect. Lee Curtis disco dancing to the Mersbau track on Japanese American Oyster, and absolutely, it was perfect. Yeah, I had to repeat that one a few times. So. So I think that it was great. So yes, I did say watch, uh, and it's because of of that it totally, particular incident. It totally works. But yeah, yeah, as it is October, we have certainly been in the watching zone. So it's been a lot of 80s slashers, prom night, anthropophagus. I still haven't seen that movie. I know I need to see it. It's so grim and gory. It's dismal. And it's very dismal. Yeah. It and seems so- insane. I yeah, know all great. about it. I just still haven't seen it yet. Yeah, the oh, soundtrack. Awesome. The yeah. soundtrack's great too, and actually, mm-hmm. totally would fit on this tape. Parts of the soundtrack would a hundred percent fit on this tape. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. So yeah, it's been a lot of watching, and will be the watching will be ramped up as this month goes. And on. And if you're like us in this household, and you listen to Japanese noise treaty, it's really fun to guess who you're hearing. Yeah, and I will say that it's one of those things where it was one of those early, you know, releases. So back then, it was harder to discern a little bit Mm -hmm. when it was the first thing you know it was just sort of everything was new and fresh but it was maybe harder to pick out now having been just you know in and out day in day out you know immersed and constantly putting this in our ears 
Yeah, it was absolutely like, oh, yeah, clearly this is K2. Oh, yeah, yeah. clearly this is contagious orgasm. Clearly yeah. this is MSBR. Well, you guys oh, have scholarly, noi- scholarly yeah. noise ears. Yeah, it definitely, like, and you know what? It paid off when you're listening to it. So that was uh, fun. the OB track, just cold, you know, perfect. But, hey, what Gentlemen. have you guys been listening to? Cool, I got a little pile for you all here. Um, I got a really nice package from my friend Connor Camburn. His project is called his music. He goes by Lituous. It's like really cool rhythmic pulse kind of music. Really cool stuff. But he does a label called Chained Library. He sent me a nice little care package with pretty much everything he ever he's done so far. He's done about ten or so releases. Yeah. This is a pretty new one called Labile Mundi. And I'm not quite, it's a totally one of those things where I'm not sure if it's him or someone else, but it sounds like kind of like being locked in a musty like clock tower with like just chains, like kind of dragging on the ground and like lots of really amazing reverberation. Really cool, really cool and really short tape. Like maybe, I think it's a C10, like five minutes aside. Really cool. They've got a band camp too, chained library. Just check it out. Um, I'm gonna go quick. I got kind of a kind of a pile here as usual. Hey, it's great. <laughs> uh, just kind of, I kind of just started listening to these guys, and I don't know how I missed them for so long. Mandible Chatter. Oh yeah, yeah. This is like early '90s. I want to say they're like Pacific. Northwest or California, maybe, but this is like really cool. It kind of started in like the very kind of not typical, but like ambient industrial zone, the late 80s. They did a couple tapes. This is one's 94 hair, hair, and lore. I was listening in the car, and Catherine was like, This sounds like some obscure prog or something. There's like elements of folk, but it's got this really kind of Kind of a nurse with woundy collage. It's kind of like nurse with wound list kind of stuff, if you know what I mean. It's right like on. Yeah, obscure, yeah. weird, progish industrial. Cool stuff. I think, think they're they a duo. I think their like final CD was on on relapse too. It was, yeah, which is weird. Yeah, well, I guess it's not that weird. But. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I don't know why, but it, it, the name always makes me think of some of those manifold acts or. Also, like, and I think maybe just because I heard them around the same time, that band Maine. Maine. It puts yeah. me, and it's it's maybe a, a name association just because Mandible Chatter, Manifold, Maine. But I think also they there are there are something in common with that sound. I mean, it's all on this sort of edge of ambience with maybe some rock and and prog so, and psych totally. influence, right? Got the kind of like backbone of like space rock kind of in the background. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool that's a cool project. It also kind of reminds me of um it's very much in the same vein as like stuff like cranioclast and like calibrus. I I really love that stuff. Oh, I'm gonna have to gonna have to dig back into mandible chatter. It's been years. That one in particular is really good. And I just picked it up for like five bucks or something. Really cheap. All right. Brag time. I just got <laughs> a really uh really lucked out. I got an original exterminate. And uh, yes. aesthetic of a corpse. Yeah, yes. yes. and uh, great. There, those are two of my like absolute favorites. Exterminate being just the coldest amongst a cold discography. Just absolute like inhumanity. Like Ugh. the most nihilist sound possible. Ugh. Love it. It's oh, got great, course. great Marcoisms on the back. No recycled sounds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The price for existence is no existence. It's just amazing. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Amazing. And I got to show you guys this. Not only has it got the cool transparency and then crumpled paper underneath oh, it for aesthetic, it. but it also has, I don't know if this is unique. I'm sure it's not unique to my copy, but there's like a little piece of artwork. Oh, wow. It's oh, like a little, very nice. It's like a, it's a little piece of rice paper with like a, what looks like a, okay, I'm holding it upside down. It's like a face, piece of face. And then there's like a little like flattened out paper clip, like piece of metal tape to it. (laughs) Really cool. And it's obviously, you know, 
done by Marco, which is just really special and cool. It's <laughs> funny. Uh, I got uh, my, my copy of Woundfucker has uh, a piece of art in it that's like the size of the bag, the oversized version of it almost. And it's a uh, like paint and Xerox over the top of pornography. So it's got like, like, oh, cool. Attracts more looking Xerox. And it says, uh, what is it? Necro Xerox on it. <laughs> so it looks it looks crazy but yeah it's like just a little Perfect. piece of marco art so obviously some some of that stuff maybe some of the earlier ones ones that went to friends or whatever wound up getting like maybe more unique art pieces and of course as you do a run or you don't have the materials anymore you stop you stop doing that stuff i feel like we we talk about that a lot when we're talking about especially slaughter but just these labels that were run in a much different way than we run things today sweet so that was my little brag alert Love it. <laughs> Congratulations. Beautiful tapes. Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I'm very, very happy and they're prominently displayed. <laughs> Glad they're in good uh, hands. I popped into End of an Ear the other day and uh, had a fantastic conversation with uh, Judd, the buyer there, and uh, Dan. Yes. He told me some awesome stories. I, I guess it was the first time I had seen him since he did the, the episode with y'all. Oh wow! So I I picked his brain about hanging out with Zilviet France at Enchanted Rock, which yeah. is like a na- a natural formation outside of Austin. Here it was hilarious and awesome. But I picked this up. This is really weird, and it was insane that they had it. It's nineteen eighty three. This record is the project is called Alien, and the record's called Celebrating Your Victory, <laughs> and it's a self released, completely like oddball one off almost sounds like it's just it almost sounds like skull flower or brain bombs but it's from the netherlands in 1983 like way before it should be it's just like <sighs> one chord banging over and over again and just bashing on drums and then the last track kind of like closes out with like a really like kind of uk guitar power electronics cut like total or something like that it's it rips Totally That's so rich. striking. I had to look that up after you posted it. Yeah, and full the full uh, things on YouTube too. Check it out. <laughs> cool. Right on. All right, closing out here. A couple more things. I've been listening to a lot of Asmus Teachings again lately. Cool. He just rules. Yes. And I've been exploring. He has a really big catalog, and I've been like, kind of. I've been, of course, really into the noisier, industrial, indebted stuff. 80s material but as he like moved on it got just like got to be like contemplative nihilist dark ambient and it's incredible this is kind of like the midway period stupor monday i love that cover yeah the cover is amazing like a ready-made like light bulb head kind of thing love it and this record's amazing it was put out by a splendor geometrico actually oh killer that one's really cool. If you guys haven't checked that out, you, you should. It's kind of like a good bridge point between his more industrial noisy stuff and his more like laid back, like super contemplative, stoic ambient stuff of the 90s. Yeah. that You know, when I think of the ambient stuff, the first one that comes to mind is that that massive uh, triple R, like triple oh, OP. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's fantastic. But when like this is, uh, you know, what, 17 years ago or something, Vinyl On Demand did that box set of all the early tapes and stuff that I'd never heard. And Those are awesome. They look amazing. And they're so, so good of like weird, rhythmic, industrial, melodic, like kind of a little absurd in, in terms of like the compositions and and the sound palette. But they they're so cool. Yeah, he's just. He's a man. <laughs> he rules. All right. And then my last thing is, well, kind of a a double thing. I wanted to just mention the fact that I've been obsessed with Philip K. Dick. And I've been re- I've been reading a ton. What what mm-hmm. which one is that? And this is the one that's kind of been my favorite. I've read about 20 of them now. And this is Martian Time Slip. Yeah. Kind oh, yeah. Under- kind of an underrated one. 1962. Uh, on the surface, especially from this cover, it seems like you're just going to get a run of the mill like sci-fi book or something, and it couldn't be more not that. But I've been—I just wanted to kind of mention that I've been just obsessed. I've read like 20 books or something in the last two months. 
I think I, I know we've talked about this in the past, both the Connellys yeah. and myself. Like I went through, I think I read 45 Philip K. Dick books in a year, uh, yeah. which sounds like you're on track <laughs> to do now too. But, You're not the only one that said that either. I think that might be just something that happens. Was, yeah. You just okay. binge it. You read one and you're like, I need more. But then, yeah. And I will say that like it all, it I it all, I know I read Martian Times Time Slip. Mm-hmm. I don't really, it all mixed together. I, I know I've said this as well, but it, when I was reading those, when I was in my big Philip K. Dick zone, I was working at a mental hospital. So, Whoa. and I was working overnight. <laughs> and I was reading them. So it Perfect. was, yeah, it was sort of a very strange time. And I I haven't necessarily gone back since that time, but it was a really important time for sure. I mean, at this point of reading 20 books or so, y- you could say like his books are just about mental health. <laughs> like, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. What goes but, on in your brain? As I'm as I'm reading the last couple of months, I've been listening to this box set of Roland Kane. He was like a he's a pretty like underrated like early electronic composer from uh, Netherlands. Um, this is just incredible. This was composed in the early '80s. It's a four disc, like four and a half five hour piece, and it's just it's pretty much the best dark ambient album I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Yeah, and I strongly, strongly suggest checking it out. I'll have to check out that one. You know, uh, Robert Beatty did the cover for that uh, 16 CD Roland Kane box set that came out right. uh, like five years ago. That It looks really great. And, the one on Frozen Reads. Yeah, the one Frozen Reads yeah. did, and which I actually still need to track a copy down of. <laughs> but uh, Roland Kane has his, his estate or, or whatnot has a very uh, extensive band camp that continues to put stuff out too. Yeah. So you can hear like just awesome, like 30 minute pieces, 50 minute pieces up there and stuff and just really zone out. I think he is finally getting some more wide recognition now, but yeah, I think more people need to check him out. Cause yeah. I think especially crossover, like with the noise world, I think people would really appreciate it. Right on. Well, that's it. That's my slightly long recent listening yeah, list. Yeah, it's incredible. That all sounds great. Well, I guess I'll I'll jump into mine here. And following on box sets, something I've been listening to sort of constantly since I got it. I may have mentioned it in a previous episode, but the hands to bioelectric box set that New Forces put out. Uh it just stays next to my stereo i can put one on the the most recent one i listened to is the one that was performed live at a college but it's like in the cafeteria and there's a little story in the booklet about like playing to these people who didn't <laughs> didn't want to be there and he thought it was like amusing to like there's mouth sounds people chewing uh stuff did that he, he processed did he mention that when we talked to him i feel like we talked about a cafeteria show with somebody might have been. I can't remember. Might have been him. Might have been. Oh, there was definitely no. You know what? I well, it might have been him, but we definitely talked about a cafeteria show with someone else. But I think it it hit the cutting room floor. I think the it didn't make it on an episode. But oh, right. talked about a few cafeteria shows with people. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I'm trying to think if I've ever played Great a cafeteria place show. For a show because we did weird cafeteria. university shows. You know, in you know on the lawn or or in you know the student you know student center. Yeah, but I don't know if I ever played a proper cafeteria hey yeah i played one i think in in uh wisconsin somewhere for sure (laughs) nice nice so when i was in middle school i was in a nirvana cover band and we played in the cafeteria during the school dance there i'm gonna need the tapes (laughs) (laughs) i wish there was video of it (laughs) and speaking of uh, reissues Thy Paul Sandra has put out two coil reissues of live shows, uh, Selvagina Go Back Into the Woods and Megalithomania, both remastered. Whoa. And you can get those from Thy Paul Sandra's website. I'll, of course, link it in the, the uh, episode description. But, man, Coil Live in 2004 playing songs, and then Megalithomania is a 40-minute version of The Universe is a Haunted House. And Holy crap. They're both just downright awesome, and the remastering sounds quite nice. So highly recommend digging those 
up before they're gone, as everything Coil seems to do these days. They just disappear sometimes. It seems like there's such a deluge of, of Coil that I don't know how to keep up. Like, I didn't know about that, but that sounds maybe the most interesting out of anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff we're seeing, I think, is reissues of stuff, right? I mean, these are it's all going to be reissues, but some of the bigger labels doing reissues and sort of keeping stuff in print is kind of a different thing than uh, someone who is in the band pressing a run of CDs. So I feel like these are more likely to disappear and not be uh, easy to get. I know I always say it, but man, I love when you just plow through a difficult word or name just with that confidence it just it gets me going and i'm like yeah man that's exactly i don't think i've ever said his name out loud through. and i don't know what i've said when i've read it in my brain i'm still saying randy grief in my head so, I don't know. <laughs> so i've been i've been working on a lot of stuff a lot of vernal weapons and whatnot in my studio and Late at night, I don't want to have blasting noise on. Although, actually, last night, I forgot to write this in my recent listening, but I just remembered. I listened to the new Savage Gospel disc on Cypher, which ruled total just psychedelic noise. I mean, if you're a fan of Incapacitance, uh, I would say that you should check out the Savage Gospel. It's uh, Ilka Veka from Hare and uh, and someone else, actually, whose name I can't remember right now, but great disc. I don't even remember the damn name of it because I just got it in the mail and threw it on. But... Uh, when I realized that was maybe a little too loud for 2 a.m. soldering session, I threw on the Death Squad audiobook from the oh, nice. 1997 tour, mm. which is Michael Nine narrating and reading basically parts of the book. And then there is an interview uh, conducted by Kate Risick uh, uh, asking questions that uh, Jason from Influencing Machine wrote and sent. So, so there is like a back and forth sort of audio interview component and it rules. I have like a weird DVD player in my studio to listen to CDs and it was a, it's a data DVDR and it played just fine. So that, that was exciting too. And it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it was a great listen and, and nice to hear the voice behind, you know, when you're reading the, the stuff, cause the, the second book just came out the 2000 tour and there's a lot of great stuff in that too. Hopefully there'll be an audio book of that. And then we get to the uh, a strangely relevant section, but I mean, also because we're just in contact with this stuff, but I've been listening to the Flea Circus, A Touch of Grey, which is Shane's project with Stuart Skinner and Christian Morandi. That is a weird disc. The artwork, the presentation, the fact that I cannot tell <laughs> who's doing what, when it's happening, why it's happening, and where the dividing lines are of any of the sounds. Uh, it's really got this like... You put every all the ingredients in and then you just let it simmer until it's like one soup. That's hilarious that you said that while we were recording it, we stopped and looked at each other and we all were talking about how we it, it sounded like we're boiling a pot of chili. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really this sort of congealed mass of sound that keeps shifting and, and you you start to notice new elements, but it. I was actually listening to it a lot in my car. I've listened to it in the home stereo, but I was driving around listening to it and it just, my car makes kind of its own noises. So anyone who's been in it knows, but uh, quite overpowered by the flea circus and on the Shane tip as well. You have started a new label since we last spoke with you Conapt. Yeah. And you put out two great discs, the XLV W and Blanco Internus Famosus. Yeah, I'm really, really stoked on my new label, and I'm really proud of those first two. Yeah, I, I, I was actually writing you about the XLV because I had heard some stuff before, but this one really grabbed me. And the the Ant Zen DNA is definitely there. The it's it definitely is noisy, rhythmic, industrial, but it doesn't feel contemporary or like the you know the 2010s wave of that sort of stuff. It feels way more 90s, like pal and zen era stuff might be the gear he's using or just those sensibilities but the it doesn't have a sort of berlin techno bend to it at all it's got something much much uh more truly industrial yeah it's definitely not techno that's for sure yeah yeah it's it is like weird rhythmic industrial that you has has a beat and you could maybe move to it but it's not techno 
yeah, that, that guy is really awesome. I think he's really talented and pretty undersung. And obviously I started my label. I wanted to highlight him and it's, he's, I'm really excited to see what else he does. It's really awesome stuff. And then Blanco is, is, uh, two people you're very familiar with gray. Yeah. Yeah. JT Whitfield, JT and... Whitfield and, uh, Daniel Hibolito. Yeah. Smokey Emery. And that, that disc was a one-off thing that they did like a real kind of secret little project they did out in the woods and they've been sitting on it for like a year. Then when I started my label, JT was just like, Hey, why don't, why don't you release this? And I was like, I'd love to. It's a really unique item for, for both of them. I think it's like a little harsher than usual for Daniel. And it's like a little bit mellower for JT, but it, it doesn't really sound like either of them. It's, it's cool. Yeah, I do hear I've collaborated with Daniel before and, and listened to a lot of his stuff and known him for, for even longer than I've known GT, I guess. And so I, I do hear a lot of Daniel's sensibilities. For sure. And, and sort of sense of humor or the way he plays with music and the things he likes to include in it. But it's it is completely transformed from how those would be used in Smokey Emery or something. So very two very nice discs. Uh we will of course link the Conapt Big Cartel so you can go grab Thank them you. as well. I mean I'm a fan. Uh, just, yeah, just been enjoying, enjoying that stuff. And something else that I have enjoyed is Randy Grafe and golden joy club. What a tape. Yes. The realist dark Lord music. Yes. It's one of those names that I have seen around forever. I have some releases, but I, I don't know that I could ever tell you anything about him he's sort of mysterious to me and that pairs well with the sounds right because these sounds are this is some very known sounds and some very strange techniques and process and and method of composition so i like the way that there feels like there's tape collage on this there's some synthesizer there's some maybe live you know live drum rhythms maybe some sampled maybe some drum machine sort of stuff. It's really hard to tell where everything is coming from, but it doesn't, no track sits in the same place as the other. Really. There's a few that share some similarities, but it's kind of all over the place in painting this very somber and dark picture. Yeah. The opening track has this incredible, like drum March thing going on. And it, it seems to just, it has like a reverse reverb and then that's looped. And it seems like there's, kind of two separate loops going in and out of sync and overlapping onto each other. And it's just awesome. Yeah, it's such a <laughs> nice so, blend of organic and inorganic sounds that, that are happening there. And this track, the devils of Ludon is uh, of course a reference to the Aldous Huxley book about a historical event and the movie that was later sort of partially based on that book, Ken Russell's the devils. Right. So, and I could not help but think about that the whole time I was listening to it. And it's one of my favorite movies ever. And I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about the end of the movie when I was listening to this one. Just harrowing, grim, completely nihilist ending. Yeah, the book is nihilistic. and But also the, the theme of nuns, um, I think, that, that run through things that Randy does. Because in... The Three Trials, his feature film that, that's done later, there's also a, a really heavy nun element doing things that aren't necessarily nun-like. Nun-sploitation. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> the other hell. I love some good yeah. nun-sploitation. I went through a phase of watching all the nun-sploitation movies. Yeah. There's some good stuff oh, yeah. there. Yeah, The Definitely. Other Hell is great. Dark Waters is fantastic we actually just rewatched that last week and then dark habits haven't seen that oh, one oh it's dark i want to see dark habits man. another non-sploitation joint <laughs> Dude, it's and a then great what's movie. the one what's the bloody one the the it's i want to say it's uh south american starts with an oh, a. a alucarda oh, yeah, alucarda yeah. that one rips yes mm, yes, yes that is very bloody incredible movie incredible movie but yeah it's you're brought to that with this immediately and swinging axe is his label is that correct yes yeah which a lot of these tapes were released on in, in the 80s and this is 86 
And it just does have that 80s cassette culture feel to it where anything can and does happen. But I especially really liked this opening track with the, the drum cascade and the electronics that act as bats. Yeah, bats and birds and swirling spirits kind of coming together and setting the tone for what you're getting into. Yeah, it swirls. It, it, we're swirling into oblivion here with this first track. There's some really anguished, harrowing, screaming kind of stuff going on, groaning. I think we hear that in the in the background of a few of these pieces, especially given... <laughs> there's, there's quite a bit of that going on. Yeah, his, his proclivity <laughs> for using... The human voice, both in cut up samples, spoken word samples, uh, screaming, yelling, and also the like choral samples. One of the things mm -hmm. I noticed on this is there's a lot of choir synth or samples yes. on here. And in fact, we, we, we get that when we enter the hole to heaven, the next piece, which this one. Yeah. Big fan of this like slow dirge and then that coral light sort of shines in but gets mutated and then we start we start with the samples and it's like full phrases here that are then sort of cut up and at slightly different pitches too. It doesn't sound like an SK one or something where you're you're pitching it down like a, even like a full note. It's this weird in between zone. Yeah. I have a theory that he's using like a really primitive, like bucket brigade, like delay that has like a really, really primitive sample, like hold right. in it where you could sample like a millisecond into it and then use the delay time to like warp it. Yeah. I think that's exactly, it has to be what that is. I mean, it's, it's 86. So there was some, there was definitely the technology to be looping things digitally around a little bit. I don't think it's a fair light or anything, obviously, but I think it's some kind of like digital delay looping going on. This track is, is not just my favorite track on the tape. It's I think one of my favorite tracks ever the whole to heaven. It's just haunting the haunting, like kind of pseudo laughing that gets pitched up. Yeah. It's, it's just super. It's, and that's one of the reasons I suggested this tape. It's, it's, you know, for lack of a better word, it's like scary sounding. It's for, for me, at least it's scary. <laughs> it definitely has that. It throughout the entire tape. And yeah, of course, when we asked you to pick something, we wanted it to be October appropriate. And you certainly came through. Now, when did you first come to Randy's work? Yeah, so I thought about that, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was this track, and it was on um, a comp. It was on, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the Dry Lungs yes. series. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, and it's on the second one. I found the first Dry Lungs at like a thrift store or something, and then from that point on, and that really blew my mind. <laughs> when I first got that one, it's got, that's a who's who. You know, control bleeding. Maybe men it's got everybody on there. Splendor, Jeff Grinky, Hijo Kaidan, If Buana got some Almar Golis on there. Who, you know, Randy would also release on Sound of Pig. Yeah, so that series just ruled. And I, after finding the first one, I was actively trying to seek out the other anything. If I ever saw Dry Longs two, three, I was like, I'm going to pick those up. And yeah, Dry Longs two. Yeah, Hole to Heaven is like the second track on there. And I had, hadn't ever even heard of Randy Greif. And uh, wow, I just, yeah, that was my first experience with him. And then that was kind of like right around the time where the the heyday of the blogs was happening. This is probably like 2007, 2008. So it wasn't too long after that. I probably just found a full rip of, I'm pretty sure I found a full rip of Golden Joy Club, this one. So it was kind of my first, like, one that I really loved and the first what, one I checked full album. I checked out was the, was the hole to heaven on the dry lungs, the same as the same version as on this tape. And, and was it already released? 
that I'm not totally sure about. I'm pretty sure that the record in this tape came out like right around the same time. I yeah. mean, I'm sitting right in front of a computer. I could look. Well, but I'm just, it, I'm just it, interested it, in, I've been thinking a lot about comps and I'm interested in that. I feel that back then you could do a track that is on another thing. And I don't yeah. know if, I don't, can you do that now? I don't know. It's interesting. It's never even occurred to me to do that. Yeah. Now. But it's, it's so also funny. like, it's, it is how yeah. comps that is, there is a precedent. For and that. if I mean, something's limited release, why wouldn't it, it is you interesting. It it's comp. an interesting, yeah. it's an interesting thought. I feel like I would be like repelled to like put anything that's already put out onto a comp for sure. Right. Like, it's right. funny though like, because you're getting but it's maybe it's cool though. Maybe it was Randy's favorite piece and he wanted to get it to right. a bigger audience and then mm-hmm. that yeah. you know, is interesting. So that it makes sense in that regard. But nowadays it's like it doesn't I, I feel like it doesn't matter as much because the accessibility is so much more there with the internet. Like Yeah, maybe oh, that's what it this is. This track's already on my band camp and now I'm gonna send it to this comp and they're gonna put it on their band camp in this compilation or whatever. It's like a different sort of feel to it than like Maybe in 86, maybe, no, you know, maybe Randy was selling 50, 100 tapes. And so that's how many people were hearing this track. And now, oh, there's going to be an LP that's, you know, 500,000, however many copies. It seems like there was quite a bit of the dry lungs comps going around. You still find them around. So, yeah, yeah. It's just interesting. I, yeah, I, you want to at least like remix it or use an excerpt. I guess, yeah, I guess. I don't yeah. know. But then there's something sort of like it's so un. It, it's so not done now that it's almost like kind of would be a wild thing to do. I don't know. It's just interesting. And to ask you your second part of your question, it is the same like version right. and everything. I, it does to me, now that I think about it, sound a little bit different. It's really um, quite a bit mastered, quite a bit lower volume than the rest of the tracks on the record. And here I feel like it's a little, it's fuller on the tape actually. Well, and the tape looks great, right? This this oh yeah strange mm-hmm. image of of Christ with the Sacred Heart, and then this like kind of grid <laughs> over his face, which is something that that uh, Randy would do that grid with the the skull with the eyes, and the there's two different versions of the tape. It seems one with the the heart colored in red, and one with it colored in yellow. I love that there's two versions, <laughs> and the only difference is the colors of the heart. Also, Randy's stuff on swinging axe it all looks really good like the the layout the design the the just general like art direction of these things it's very unique i even love the i even love the typeface that he uses <laughs> yeah just, yeah 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 just mm-hmm. the the simple the simple things about them they, they excel in their simplicity and they really get the point across and they keep that sort of mystery to it as well so what a what a cool looking tape and what a cool sounding tape. We get to the longest track on the A side, the rift in the earth. And you're talking about sort of spinning and, and the stereo. And this has this like slow warped electronic spin and these like chittering delayed and sort of disembodied voices all collaged together. And then you start to be able to make out phrases like children throwing stones at the gods. Children threw stones at the gods. <laughs> children threw stones at the gods. And it, being the longest piece at almost eight minutes, it's halfway through. It really starts to, we, we lose some of the electronics and it starts to be more of this uh, kind of narrative piece told through these samples, but it's the same samples. It's this repetition and it, it keeps building, but by the intensity and frequency of the samples and the sort of noise underneath pushing up, but the samples seem to be elevated over that. And then kind of the focal point of the second half of this piece. Yeah. These two long tracks on the A side and the B side, they really are my, my favorite tracks of the whole release. Um, I think that they're so successful. And then the way that the, like you said, Gray, the way he uses lyrics, um, the Alva's Voda's, Lyrics, who also worked on, you know, poetry, filmmaking with him, they're infused so well and seamlessly. Like it doesn't come off in any way shoehorned or cheesy. It's very, very natural, and I, I absolutely enjoy the use of of the words. They're very potent. It's very. This is a very cool track for sure. Which tracks were composed for a film? 
it's both of the um ending tracks on both sides so it's landscape with stranger and blackbird do you know if that film was actually made i tried to find yeah, any information i couldn't either. find i found zero <laughs> I actually looked too to see if I could see if I could any remnants of information about that film. I couldn't find anything either. Yeah, I wondered if it was maybe one of those ho- hopeful notes in you like know, like it's filmed, it just never yeah, gets edited like, you know, or spliced about the great, when released. you watch a, a great, you know, when you see a great old ad in a zine for an upcoming release that never yeah. came out. You know, we always love that, and I wondered if maybe it was one of those where it was composed for the film, but the film never was completed. So be interesting. Or, or it was completed and like four weirdos on mushrooms watched it in a tent and that was <laughs> right. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, totally. and then one day they'll find it in a trunk of a car somewhere. Totally, yeah, then... totally. Kindly, I feel like I know why you asked which pieces were written for film. And it's probably because the fourth track, Long Empty Afternoon, definitely sounds like it was composed for film. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, I actually mm-hmm. thought, because I knew, I, I just, for, I knew that there were some tracks composed for a film and I wasn't referencing it when we were listening to it, but I thought actually the long empty afternoon golden joy club and landscape with stranger maybe were all done for the film because they have a, a yeah. there's definitely something with these three tracks that all fit together. And yes, it is a very noir uh, it has like a domestic feel, at least a yeah. long, empty afternoon. Like you, for sure, you, you get a lot of mental images of, you know, a, a languid scene, empty room, somebody alone, a phone ringing only to itself, that that sort of thing. Yeah, I wrote down evokes early childhood memories of like late eighties, early nineties, like late night television, like commer- like infomercial kind of music. And <laughs> oh wow, yeah, um, I got more of a I don't know why Angelo Badalamenti vibe from it than than oh, late yeah, night yeah. television commercial. I feel like, but I can I can see that. But yeah, the guitar, the the horns, the sort of weird crystal and choral melody that's going on, that phone ringing that comes in and it, it just, it just happens. It's just there. Well, it's awesome because that phone rings and it sounds so good in the mix. Yeah. And then I, I wrote waiting on an important phone call. You doze off. Uh, and then there's a scary phrase of hallucinated phone call that happens. The me- the keyboard kind of like plays a melody with that telephone sound at one mm. point. It's freaky and awesome. Kind of reminded me of like maybe kind of being half asleep on the, you know, chair in the living room and you're kind of like half dreaming stuff, stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. Golden joy club also has the, the track itself has that sort of simple kind of plucked loops. Uh, but it feels like they're and the and the drum, but it feels like they're kind of working at cross purposes. It's it's very childlike, uh, like toy piano kind of sound. But I can also see that, yeah, kind of like being being in film. And then landscape with stranger, I actually said like same or similar vibe as as long empty afternoon. Like when listening, you immediately notice that these pieces do kind of fit together, and when they're bookending that, so maybe some of the other stuff was. Uh, in the process of working on the composing stuff for that film and the, he, the two tracks he chose for it were landscape with stranger and blackbird. But the, some of the other stuff was uh, in the process of that or figuring that out. This is something that came up a couple of times as I was writing stuff down for tracks, but I wrote for landscape with stranger Funhouse mirror version of John Hassel, like, Eno fourth world type atmosphere. Like, are you guys familiar with that whole era of like Brian Eno and the fourth world thing where it was kind of like imaginary landscape, like, you know, like Island music, basically. No. Some cool records. John Hassel. Yeah. Hmm. You should definitely ch- power spot is what I would uh, recommend in that whole world. All right. It's the artist is John Hassel, but mm. it's a very much Eno produced kind of thing. But I, this I thought sounded like a kind of dilapidated, like mutated funhouse version of that. <laughs> you know, I checked out Randy Graves' Bandcamp, which he does have with a few things up there, mostly recent stuff from like 2019 through 2021. And uh, it's funny you mentioned Eno because there, there's a uh, the most recent 
release he has up there is called Before and After Language, which of course immediately made me think of Before and After Science, the Brian Eno record. So maybe maybe a, a reference there somewhere <laughs> as well. I think it was probably pretty impossible to not be at least somewhat influenced by Eno, especially around that time. Maybe. The these tracks are when the word and then I know Tara used it as well. The word plunking uh, started getting used a lot here. And there it's I think we're all hearing that and that putting it in different words. But there's that plunking sound that really started totally. with Long Empty Afternoon. And, and we're going to get also later on. But flipping the tape. Now we're in now we're like marching over a bridge over a medieval river with procession. Love this track. It's a dark procession to a dark place. Yes. It had been a while since I had gotten to side B on this tape. I pretty frequently pop it in to hear hole to heaven. But yeah, hearing procession, I was like, wow, I should really start listening to this B side more often. (laughs) Procession. was great. Yeah. It's funny. Ominous choir. It's funny you say that. I, I know that feeling when you're like, oh, this tape isn't rewound. It's like it's on side B. It's because you there's something on exactly. side A you just had to hear. And uh, Noise Extra listeners, do you do that? What are your favorite tapes to check out just like one side of or like a fir- you know the first half of or the first quarter of? Let us know. I was even maybe thinking we were in Portier, which is where we were last time we oh. talked <laughs> with M Plays Havoc. I thought maybe that's the, the remote a, viewing session. Yeah, maybe that was some of the ruins we were yeah. in. Uh, but yeah, I really, really this track for sure was uh, got got a star for me. I, yeah, I maybe think really of like Orf choirs. You know, yeah, that's great. Yeah, really, really cool track. The choirs were really cool and ominous on this track. Really cool. Yeah, and then moving into the potion, which again, lovely and darkly evocative name. I it, it's so hard to describe plunking with a different word, but truly, I used to play in a handbell choir, and there is you plunk. It's called plunking, and that's what <laughs> this sounds like. It sounds like plunking bells, but electronic plunking bells. I was but- thinking that it was a marimba. Oh, I wrote was Glockenspiel. He- well, yeah. and, I, and I, I wrote xylophone type thing because, again, I wasn't 100% sure if it was all electronics. Yeah. If there was actual instrumentation maybe being processed. The, the What's great about especially 80s cassette culture is that haze of time where it all is a, yeah, is, a, is a big mystery because a lot of times they don't list exactly what they're doing and you just go with what you're hearing and you try to put yourself in the time when someone would have gotten this tape in 86 and not knowing what was happening. And the stereo field with all of all of these things happening because it's it's a very, you know, you get that feeling because it's just that immediate satisfaction and it's like almost disorienting by the time you get those really quick bows, you know. Some this, bizarre this track theater. Is, this track is beautiful. The yeah, the marimba plunking. It's just pretty. The loop is pretty serene and is just really beautiful. But then you've got those digital strings that are full of tension that come out. I, I, my notes say tense string riffing. <laughs> like exactly that. It is that sort of that you know staccato bowing of the strings. Just drama. Yeah, it's just a really cool juxtaposition with the serene marimba and then the the strings are just awesome. I am really partial to this is the dawn of like digital synthesis pretty much at this point. DX7 came out in 84. This is certainly DX7 kind of stuff happening here. And I just really like that. I really like the crude like digital like digital kind of trying to recreate acoustic sounds but they weren't quite right yet oh yeah I'm sure, yes. at, I'm sure at the time like that was just a fantastic like really wild thing for a creative person to be able to manipulate because it just it was so different than anything before like being able to control it and manipulate parameters on it like a real sounding instrument was probably just wild 
And I think people did far more interesting things with that, like then, when it was new, just mm-hmm. personally. Oh, that's you know why we call them synthesizers, right? They were supposed to synthesize organic sounds, things that we were familiar with, so strings, guitars, bells, whatever. And it's funny to think about that now, but seriously, back back then when you were getting these things, the capability to do that. I mean, you know, one of my favorite synths I talk about often is that Roland JV twenty eighty, which is which is from a decade after this, but the eight eighty was, uh, you know, in the early nineties. And I feel like whatever, you know, I'm not sure exactly what was before that, but you started seeing the like Rompler synths, which they'd actually sample a thing and then pitch it down and put some processing on it to alias it and make it sound nice. And I I like the, I like the use of those synths because they are off putting and alien, but also we've heard them so much over the past 30, 40 years that they're, that's now what strings sound like to most people. Totally. Like there's a, I love digital synths. I love romplers. They sound amazing. Yeah, there's a greater chance there's a rompler on something you're listening to than there is an actual cello. Speaking of a cool synth sound, I love the sound of this. Is not the end. This is my favorite love track. That great primitive medieval synth line. Or, that oh, it's perfect. Yeah, I wrote very horror soundtrack. I wrote organ slash harpsichord melody because it has that twang of a harpsichord, but it's got that definitely that's nice drone of an organ to it as well. And then the sort of the moaning vocal loop that is it, it makes you a little uncomfortable when that first starts coming in. And the this is the the track where I wrote it loves the choir samples or like synth like the the choral patches mm-hmm. are you, at this point you've heard them you know like three or four tracks and it's. There was obviously uh, some sort of affection for those sounds and using them in these pieces. And of course, they work well in sort of horror themed or, you know, sounding music, right? You want something to be both scary and uplifting. You can you can use those choir sounds for not being the end. It sure does sound like it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. This would be this would be the end of anybody's other any of any other artist tape. This is definitely a great way to end a tape but it isn't the end but it in this is the longest track on the on the cassette it's this 10 minutes a little over 10 minutes but you just once you because you know that it's 10 minutes you know that it's going to be a long one you just let it unfold you know you're just like all right i'm just gonna sit back and see where this track goes because i'm loving this synth right now let's just see how it goes for 10 minutes. Yeah, it's. I, I was thinking it was like a strange dancing song for the underworld. It's a soundtrack for reanimating flesh. It's purgatory. It's muffled cries. It's confusion. Like, this is like the Black Lodge. I wrote down an argument between floating spirits in purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> you, that's, yeah. We're you, doing it again. We're doing, we're it, doing again. it. We got it. It's happening. All <laughs> happening. Yeah, I, I really... If Procession wasn't my favorite track, this would probably be my favorite track. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is my favorite I track. But, you know, it's not that we have to pick our absolute favorites. But I really, this track and Procession were especially the tracks that I was fully So you can have in. one track that has a heart and you can have one track that has a star. Gotcha, so gotcha. you don't have to, like, have a hierarchy per se. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, I, as always, I'm always just a fan of saying everything's your favorite. They're like, all this my, is my favorite. favorite. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. That is my favorite. Side yeah. B is my favorite. I'm a, I'm, a, I, I'm a firm believer in it can all be your favorite. I think I do that a lot too. Yeah. This is my favorite. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that at yeah. all. Look, if we're going to talk about my favorite, we're going to have to, we're going to have to skip this next track. Eight days of a bouncing ball. Not because it's bad. I think we, it's, it's skippable though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, you know what? It's, you know what? Hey, I don't disagree. Bend and strength. It's it, it it is is this a this is a full this I mean this is a sixty minute tape right yeah it's yeah I mean it's a full C sixty I I you know sometimes when you got an hour there might be moments that maybe you know are a bridge to the next thing and maybe that track is one of those bridges 
But it's a tall order to make a 60 minute tape full of with, nothing but amazing stuff. Right. And with all separate tracks and all se- and all tracks being different. That's the thing. And especially this time, you know, when when these in the cassette culture era where people were filling up C60s with it's not side long. It's not side long tracks. It's multiple tracks and multiple approaches. And that's what makes some of the stuff so so great and so interesting you know you, you we, we mentioned sound of pig and if you know that you know c60s of multiple tracks and there might be tons of different places it goes and some things may be bridges to get to the other places and gray i think you're talking about a bridge to get to v is for victory so my two favorite tracks are the second track and the second to last track so second track of course the hole to heaven and second to last track V is for victory. This is that sort of droning synth crumble sound. And then the, the sort of feedback and noise over it. It's really ghastly sort of spectral sounds delay. I think the delay sounds so good on this track and the stereo sort of field, uh, which is something that Randy uses really a lot in his oh, tracks, yeah. uh, which I feel like, there's there were kind of two schools of that in the eighties. You either have like no stereo, actually three, I guess. <laughs> you have no stereo, completely disparate stereo, where like just different stuff is happening in either ear, or you have this sort of movement around the stereo field that that Randy's using, where you get panning and you get things appearing in one side and moving across the field. But yeah, V is for victory is is another easy favorite on this one for me. I loved V is victory, and again, it was another track. I was like wow, I don't remember this one that well, and it's much different than the other tracks. Yeah. I put down that it was nearly ephemeral Dawn-esque. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, absolutely was thinking of something along the lines of an encephalia. Yeah. Which was really... I I actually kind of stood up for a second when this track started, and when I came back, I was like, wow, I don't remember this one very well. And it, how does this possibly sound like an encephalia right now? So sick. Yeah, this this is a great track. I'm thinking EVPs, like radio EVPs and just so many, you know, things going on, but you can't quite, you know, wrap your brain around any of it. There is a bit of back masked like voices too coming in at the end, just again with the voice loops. And then to close it out, another piece for film, Black Bird. And this one's got like total tape collage with with the voice and noise going on, but there's also like a gamelan or something on this track. I can't tell what what that is. Where we're getting more and more of these sounds as the album goes on. I'm already laughing because I I wrote down that it has the Taco Bell DX7 sound. You know the dumb... <laughs> whoa! <laughs> right when you said that, I know exactly yep. what you meant. It, it literally does have that because I mean it was a preset on the DX7. I mean Coil even used it on Tainted Love, yeah. their cover of Tainted Love. It's the Taco Bell DX7 sound. <laughs> it's on there for sure. Oh, amazing! Yeah, this is. I love that line, and I love how this just finalizes this really cool tape. Now being more familiar with his work what what other tapes would you say are in this vein or are they all very different how do you, would you say this sits in his discography um i would consider this one kind of like his i'm not super familiar with his later period stuff all i'm really familiar with is like his 80s stuff right mainly. right and this is what I would say is like his solid, like main record from the eighties that he did two tapes. He has a lot of aliases and he was pretty prolific, but under his own name, he did, um, it's in a box from 83 and then lost contact in 84. Both of those are also cassettes on swinging Axe. Those are both incredible. And I would say they're a little bit, more raw and they're like kind of have a 
a foot a little bit more like an industrial, like maybe like more like, I mean, it, it would be unfair to say it's like SPK because he still has a very like distinctive sound. And you hear a lot of the, the kind of mysterious bells and his really unique, like, um, choice of sounds to use and stuff, but it's, it's even darker, I think, than, than this one. And they're both very, very cool. And then he did one directly after, um, this one called the shadow traders from, I think 88. That one is fantastic too. And it's, really pretty similar to this tape um with more alva Savota poetry and then like a even heavier like narrative kind of vibe to that one and then of course he did after that he went on to do the five disc alice in wonderland mm-hmm. drama which is fantastic and i've only really i've only really like checked out the first like two and those are just really good but there's five i believe wait what label was that stop right? right yeah and i'm pretty sure that he got like quite a bit of acclaim and that was pretty like highly regarded at the time it it's really cool and it maybe on the surface it might seem a little silly or something kind of like alice in wonderland but it's not silly at all it's it's freaky and <laughs> i think does the story justice really well and he's the perfect person to do something like that between shadow traders and golden joy club in that era he also did a record called bacteria and gravity on triple r that one completely slipped my mind so Mm -hmm. there's a there's a whole breadth of stuff out there to check out i mean he had a bunch of cassette releases and cd releases in the 90s as well and yeah some of that stuff it's a name that i first encountered in the solid moon catalog in the late 90s because he was doing collaborations with like Robin story or Nigel Ayers and not knowing of the eighties work that those were my only sort of touchstones to it. And I haven't heard those records in 20 years now, I feel like, but I also learned through doing research for this episode that he went under the name screaming duck ducks. And yeah, I have those tapes. <laughs> I didn't realize that that was him. Do you have any shadow bug for, I do not have any shadow bug. I do have one of the CDs. Um, it's been a minute since I listened to it. I was talking to Gray about it earlier, but it's cool and it's it's you can still tell it's him, but it's kind of like I don't know. It's kind of got more of an of the time like IDM kind of flavor to it, like maybe like Autecro kind of thing mm-hmm. going oh, now on. I want to hear him even more. It is. It's really cool. You should check it out. My favorite thing that's outside of just him going by his own name is Static Effect. Have you guys checked that out? I haven't heard any Static Effect. I have. I'm very lucky to have two of them. They're both double tapes, and it's him in collaboration with another guy, Mikhail Bahonis. They're both on uh, Swinging Axe, and this is right around the same period as Golden Joy Club maybe a little bit after the other guy, he does a project called war world. Also cool, but them together is static effect. And it, they claim that it's a 100% improvised project. Like they would just get together, hit record and whatever happened happened. And then they would pick the best stuff and put it out. And that stuff is, is cool. It's pretty, you know, you, you can tell Randy's involved. I'm not really I don't really know how to pick out Mikhail Bohonas's work like like I do Randy's, of course, but it's definitely a little bit more like bombastic, humorous, but there's still like that evil, evil, surreal humor going on throughout the whole thing. Really fantastic stuff. It's more like upbeat, I guess, too. Like lots of beats, lots of big beat kind of stuff. Drum machines, weirdness. And lots of really awesome, like almost chrome esque, like vocals going on throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. Really good stuff. Everyone should check that All out. Right. Static effect. Killer. Well, this is a great tape to set the atmosphere for October, as is 
NSI and plays Havoc from earlier this year that we did with Shane. That's also perfect for mm-hmm. this time of year. Yeah, I'm really glad that we got to talk about the NSI. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely one of our favorite discoveries of doing this podcast. And, you know, that's why we love having you on. You know, when you sent a list of stuff, of suggestions, I, you know, always we look at everything and especially if I haven't heard of it or Tara hasn't heard of it or Gray hasn't heard of it, we're always like, Oh, that's what yes. we want to do. And this happened to be one that Tara and I weren't familiar with at all. Gray was, was more familiar with, but I'm really glad that we got to do this because we really dug this tape. So thank you so much for bringing it as always. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah. Dude. Randy Gray. Bring on the Halloween season. Heck yeah, well, we're going to hop over the Patreon and talk about some of the other suggested releases. One is a project called Happy Halloween that I want to hear more about. So let's go pop over there and talk about it. What do you say? Sounds like a plan. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise. <laughs>